In this episode of The Ziggler Show, our focus is the power of observation. So we think of comedians as people who are funny, right? However, I feel the laugh is just a symptom of a deeper reality and skill. They connect with our emotions. It's one of the most impressive skills I've seen. And in this episode, I'm joined by Michael Jr. for the second time. He has a new book titled Funny How Life Works. But as we talk, the headline that came to mind for me was life lessons from a very observant person. Michael has shared the stage with the world's greatest comedians, such as Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock. And he's been on all the late night TV shows. He's a member of comedic royalty, but unlike them, he keeps getting billed as a comedic thought leader because that's his agenda. He's not there to get a laugh, but to give a laugh. He is looking to open up your emotions with comedy so he can speak into and inspire your soul towards your purpose. What you'll hear in this episode is a skill set of observation and connection. I think anyone desiring to influence others will want to hear and benefit from. You might laugh a little here, but more so I think you'll feel some revelation and equipping to be a better influencer and connector. I encourage you to find Michael's podcast. You'll laugh and be entertained, but you're also going to learn a lot. Just search for Funny How Life Works wherever you listen to your podcast. Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show, ranked number two in all-time career podcasts in Apple Podcasts, and our focus is growing your professional success by helping you grow into your full capacity. My Motive podcast is devoted to clarifying the reasons that drive you. In episode 31, I bring you a paradigm shift with a motive for temporary failures. I make a case for welcoming difficulty and temporary failures that come with doing anything of great value for our lives. My True Life podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. In episode... 75, we talk about how to upgrade your OS, your operating system, not a reboot, but a true upgrade. You'll find permission to take a break and take care of yourself. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com slash coach and connect with Tom Ziggler and become a Ziggler coach. Now, the first thing I want to talk about is what you started the book off with, and it's a story about the BMX bike, because that spoke, oh, yeah. it spoke right to my heart. I've got the same, I got almost the same story. So for you, it was the, the Swin Predator. Yeah, like a schwuffy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. The, but you saw the bike that you wanted, and it was- uh, I wanted it bad. 200 bucks, and you mm-hmm. went and asked your dad, and just like mine, doggone it. He didn't, he did not whip out the cash. It's right. For me, it was, it was uh, you remember this, it was a red line. Uh, oh. it, had the, it had the Oakley. I had to look them up before this to see it. Cause it had those wide flange Oakley. They're called Cobra grips and it was $400. Oh. And, uh, just, just like your dad, my dad said, go, go work for it. And, uh, but for you, did, yeah, he did. He did. Can you believe that? But you did too. But the thing is I bought the bike. You did not. Um, you took, I didn't get the bike. You didn't get the bike. Why? Well, because I'd worked so hard for that two hundred for that hundred dollars I raised to get the bike. After I got all that money, I was like, man, that, that's too much work for that bike. Plus, I live in Michigan. 
Like it's going to be snowing more than half the time. I started doing all this, this math that I hadn't even considered before when money didn't have any meaning behind it. But suddenly I'm like, man, please, where, where'd you grow up at? Kentucky. Kentucky. See, you didn't get a lot of snow in Kentucky. Nope. And they so built I mean, like, a BMX track. So I, that's what set me up. I became a pro cyclist from that actually. Boom. Yeah. Yours was an investment. Yes. Mine was just a, it, it was just me consuming goods. So yeah. no, I didn't. So how has that played out with you and your kids? You've got five kids. When did it, has it yet? Have you gotten to that point with one of the kids? Hey, I want that. And you pass that lesson on. Oh, absolutely. All the time. My kids know that they have to, well, initially I always told my kids, you have to earn money, but now I teach them that you have to make your money, make some money for you. Yeah. Which is really the way to go. So yeah, my kids know, cause I don't hand them anything, but when I do, it's really because I feel like, it's just a gift. Like there's no strings attached if I just give them something. So now any gift that I give them has so much more value because they know I don't just give uh, ad hoc. I'm not just going to give out of nowhere. Yeah. So when I do, they're like, Ooh, wow, dad, thank you so much for this, which is cool. I saw Jerry Seinfeld. And he said, one of his kids asked him, he says, dad, are we rich? He said, <laughs> he said, I am. I am <laughs> not, not, right. you, not you guys. <laughs> I am. You don't even have a job. <laughs> yeah. You're not doing shit. yeah. I had you on the Ziggler show three years ago. Yeah. And then I was with you at an event, a Ziggler event we did in Nashville. A lot has happened uh, since yeah. that time point. Yeah. I think at that point you were also maybe beginning or had you already gotten involved with selfie dad, which is a movie out on yeah. Amazon prime. What was that experience? Yeah. Like? <clears throat> That was really cool, man. It was my first movie that I got to star in and, uh, and the directors and the producer, the director was nice enough to allow me to rewrite any part of the movie while I was making the movie. Wow. So if I felt like something needed a little bit of tweak or it could be a little more funny, if this happened, they let me do that, which is exactly what the Kendrick brothers let me do in war room too. I had a much smaller role in war room, but they were like, Hey, we got the line, you nailed it. Now let me just do one the way Michael Jr. would do it. So that's what I did. I did one just, just the way I would. And those are all of the takes that they use in War Room. And it's the same thing in Selfie Dad too, man. So I'm super excited. It was a, it was a really cool experience. Like really, really cool. Did you, well, it sounds like because of what you just said that you did, I was going to ask, did you get out of it what you intended as far as what you wanted to communicate, what you wanted people to hear? Yeah, so I didn't write that actual script, but I was able to communicate. Like, I never want to play a role that's going to counter the role that I'm playing in life, yeah. the, the real me. So in that aspect, absolutely. But I think Brad and those guys who directed and put it together, they did a great job of communicating. Really, it was a story about um, understanding that God is an awesome God, regardless of what you got going on. So in the movie... I play this guy who's all caught up in himself. He kind of ignores his family completely. And he's, and he, he does comedy and he got, he got this YouTube channel and it's blown up. It's all exciting. And then all of a sudden he realizes, man, I'm, I'm losing everything that really matters. Even though the whole world is starting to know who I am. Yeah. So it's a really good story of that. And there's a lot of funny in there too. Fortunately, there's a lot of funny. You, you know, your life is, I mean, you are, I think even in your bio, it says you're a traveling, you know, comedian. So we are still within, you know, we're past the year now as of this recording in this COVID pandemic and, and things that have gone on. I assume that that, like all the folks that are speakers that I know, everybody that it stopped that part of your life cold. 
what happened in your big, so many people in business that are still dealing with that, especially speakers. How did it affect you? And what did you do to, you know, pivot is the word everybody wants to use. What did you do to deal yeah. with it? Well, here's what's cool about that. I I do some stand-up comedy. I mean, that's how I started. But now I'm doing a lot of keynote speaking, really, because what I'm really called to do is help people and even organizations understand what their purpose is and what they're supposed to accomplish. And I use comedy as a seasoning to do that. So it's more of a, of a comedic thought leader role. But what's very exciting about that was probably about <clears throat> six months before the pandemic hit, me and my team had just finished uh, this product we called a, a D uh, a DCS, which is a digital comedy show. So we were all set up in our studio. We had green screens, right? Everything set because I get so many inquiries a year. I mean, only my desire is to only do 35 events a year. I'm only going to do like 35 events a year in a calendar year, but we get 1200 inquiries. So we were already working on, okay, how do we help some more of these people uh, learn what they want to learn through comedy. So we came up with this digital comedy show where it was me personalizing a comedy show and editing it together. So it's personalized to that organization. And we had just rolled it out maybe, maybe five and a half months before the pandemic hit. Yeah. So when the pandemic hit, we had this thing all laid out because I wanted to be home anyway. So this thing worked out perfectly. And then the, when the pandemic showed up, I'm at home really just loving being around my family. And now that it's lifting and people in the, you know, we're getting a lot of calls again. I'm like, man, do I want to leave my house? This yeah. is awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. But I will go out. I will travel if I feel like I can ha- have a big enough impact on the people. I'm yeah. For sure. Well, just, and I don't want to stick on this, but talking no, about the, good. talking about the past year and the pandemic mm-hmm. and whatnot, you yeah. also in June, I think is what I saw. You put a video out and you shared a story that you actually have in the book. And I had heard from you prior to that too, about an encounter, personal encounter you'd had with the police. And so we'll call it a, a racially motivated issue. So you put (laughs) out in June, uh, right when we, June, 2020, when we hit kind of a a peak of racial issues, a video, and you shared that experience and talked, you know, in essence about loving people, forgiving people. Anyways, did you, I was wondering if you, I didn't see anything, but did you speak, did you use your platform to further speak to the racial issues that came up? It's you know not even a year ago. Yeah. So here's the thing, man. What I do is When those issues arise, I am super, super sensitive as to if this is something that I should be discussing because everyone has that knee jerk where they feel like they got to say something. I really only want to say what I should be saying when I should say it. So I never I try to never react and always respond. So with that right there, the reason I felt like I should share the video and for those who don't know, it's a, a story about when I was 19 years old, five I'm sorry, 15 police officers came into my apartment wrongfully. One of them put a gun to my head, pulled the hammer back. And um, and I shared the story mainly because I had a lot of fans who were kind of looking to me to say, wow, what do you what do you think? Do you think this stuff really ha-? like I learned a lot of my white friends and even fans didn't even think that that stuff really kind of took place. Hmm. So I was like, man, I need to share this because, and I, I had never talked about it before. I'd never had that conversation with anybody before just because um, it's not something you bring up around the dinner table. Like you haven't, hey, I have to tell you about the time the police, like it just don't come yeah. up. Yeah. But um, 
but I felt like I should share it. And then we shared it and the response was tremendous in a really, really good way. As in people started to understand because it's somebody that they know, somebody they care about, somebody who's encouraged them before had the same type of experience. Now, I do want to say, because I know people don't know the whole story, is as a result, you got in the book, I get into the details of it, but as a result of what happened that day, I'm sitting in my apartment, I'm crying, I'm in tears, the police leave, they just, they could have, like I could be dead and, and they just covered her tracks and nobody know the difference. But then a lady came knocking on the door really, really hard, aggressively, this Mexican lady. And um, and she was, she was crying, she was inconsolable, and apparently it was her house that had gotten raided in, in my apartment community. And they took her husband away, and it was just her and her kids, and she's crying, and she's all un- inconsolable. And she's saying, they took everything. They took everything. They took everything. And, I'm, and, I'm, and I don't know what to do because this, the police were in my apartment wrongfully because of her husband, her boyfriend or whatever. So when the police, I'll back up just a little bit. When the police put the gun to my head, what they were doing is they asked me to reach for my wallet, which was over the stove. So as I reach over the stove for my wallet, one of the officers who just had a horrible attitude, he takes that, he takes his gun out at that point, puts it in my head, put the hammer back. And I remember tears rolling down my face because I don't know if this is the end or not. So they had me, they had me reach for my own wallet. First of all, why would you even have me do that? There's 15 officers in my apartment. One of you guys can get the wallet. I can continue to sit on the floor. So it was as if he was using that as a tool. But anyway, Fast forward, the lady comes in, she's crying. I've been sitting on the floor in tears for the last 30 minutes. She burst through the door crying. They took everything. They took everything. She's crying. She got two kids. She's inconsolable. She doesn't know what to do. I don't understand her because I don't speak Spanish. And uh, my instinct was, you know what I'm going to do? Is I reached for my wallet. It had like $14 and some change in it. And I pulled all the money out and I gave it to her. And then she gave me this big hug. She grabbed her two kids and they walked out the door and I never saw her again. But what really took place in that moment, I thought I gave her a gift, but what really happened was in that moment, in this, the same tool, the same wallet that that officer used to say that I don't mean anything, that nobody needs me, that I could just be gone at any moment, is the same tool that I was able to reach into and give money to this lady. And she said to me, I need you, you matter. So that whole little spin right there was pretty awesome. So what I explain to people in the book is I say, listen, if if you're hurting for whatever the reason might be in life, look next to you because there's probably somebody else hurting and healing can take place immediately if you would reach out and help those people. So I'm not upset with that officer. I mean, I don't know what kind of day he was having. I don't know what he went through in life. I can't even like I don't know what happened. I don't know. But I know healing started taking place as soon as. I released the anger and I released the anger because that lady was there. <clears throat> as far as the other 14 officers, they were there. They witnessed what happened, but I don't have anything against them either. Like, I think officers are awesome. I also think mailmen are awesome, but some of them are a little crazy. Let's be real. Like mm-hmm. someone will kick your dog when you're not looking. So it's just about what person is in the uniform that's supposed to be really serving you or are they just serving themselves? So, yeah. And the, <laughs> and the story of that, yeah, the wallet cha- or the, incident with the lady changing your paradigm from is it fair for me to say from you being a victim to you being yeah. a servant absolutely 100 because most people would listen most people show up if you could picture a napkin a white napkin most people show up in situations and scenarios with that napkin tucked into their collar 
as to say, hey, feed me, serve me. The key is to take that same napkin, pull it out of your collar if you can visualize it, fold it in half and fold it over your arm like a servant. It's the same tool, but how are you going to use it? Are you going to use it to say, what can I get? Or are you going to use it to say, what can I give? So I, that's to do that. worth the price of admission for the podcast right there. I mean, we're at a, a, at a high of diseases of despair right now, depression, mm. suicide, whatnot. And mm. and I, my dad was a psychologist. I learned that a long time ago. One of the best treatments for depression is go find somebody to serve somebody who's yes. hurting. Yeah. Yeah. And it seemed like <clears throat> it seemed as if it wouldn't make sense. Why well, I got to go serve them. Why would I do that? But as soon as you do it, the game changes. I have a nonprofit called funny for the forgotten, where we go to homeless shelters and prison and abuse children facilities. We take comedy there, and those are some of my favorite shows. In fact, we just did one in downtown Dallas for some homeless people. A lot of the guys didn't laugh. A lot of them were on drugs in the midst of it. But the few that did, I mean, that's who I was there for. I'm not there to get laughs. I'm there to give them an opportunity to laugh. That right there changes everything in a big way. You have to ask, what can you give? That incident, and you talk about you're on the ground crying. Lady comes in. Did you really realize the paradigm shift for yourself then, no. or was it in retrospect? No, 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 no. It was for, it was while I was writing this. Okay. Well, I knew it. I felt some change, some shift take place. I wasn't a Christian at the time. I didn't meet Jesus till years later. But looking back at that moment, I recognized what was going on because because I hadn't really talked about it a lot to to anybody except for some people who have been through something similar, and their response was always. Well, aren't you mad? Well, don't can't you don't you hate police officers now? And I just didn't like I just I didn't leave. I felt bad for that one officer who did that thing. And maybe it was just that day. I didn't. And, and people and I never understood why was I not so upset. But the truth is, I just didn't give him that much power. I mean, it was just like it's obvious God was in control. I got some bigger things I'm supposed to be doing in my life right now. So. I just moved on and I know the reason I was able to move on so quickly is because I found an opportunity to help somebody else. Like I know it, like I know it, like I know it. Yeah. And in the midst of this pandemic, when there's so many people hurting, some people say, some people focus on the fact that there's so many people hurting and how messed up things are. Yeah. But what you should focus on is the fact that there's so many people hurting, which means there's a bunch of opportunities to help people. Yeah. I, was interested for a couple of reasons of having you on here, Michael, but one of them is just the fact that you are a comedian. So here's, here's my story. I mentioned Jerry Seinfeld earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad, I grew up amongst the car world and, and those old classic cars. And so somebody yeah, recommended yeah. the show, uh, that he has comedians in cars getting coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So I got enamored with that. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I got enamored with that show. Great show. It's a great show. Well, what I got though is realizing, cause you know, his, he talks about there. I only want to talk with comedians. I don't like hanging out. I'm not comfortable with other people. I want to talk with comedians. Is it felt like, or what I read into it or experience is it felt like such a rare breed of people who by proxy of what they do have to be incredibly observant of life, of yeah. behavior, yeah. Of, of, of people in general, that is your job. Cause as you said, if you're going to get, or you said it, give a laugh, you've got to understand people and humanity in that. And, and reading your book, I felt like I, my, my 
perspective was this is life lessons from a very observant person. Mm. And to that degree, I felt like there's a business book in there saying you want to do, you know, you can do how to win friends and influence people. It's understanding them. And that is your job is what it seems like. Absolutely. And I wondered, that's why I asked if you had that awareness because reading the book, it feels like for whatever reason, you know, thank Mm God you did seem to notice life. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point, man. Really, really great point. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode with Michael Jr. Next, he shares what's really happening when he's on stage, what's happening with most comedians and how they must be reading people in the moment and discerning their emotions to figure out which way to go. It's classic sales uh, and how to respond to them. It's an incredible insight. And again, it feels like a skill set we would all do well to learn more of. Uh, Again, get more of Michael Jr. Find his podcast wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Funny How Life Works. So when I'm on stage, here's what's happening. And this, I think this is what's happened with every comedian. I don't know how far they can go with this thought process, but it has to be true for most comedians on some level. But when I'm on stage, and especially when I first started, this is, the, this is what was happening. I would be presenting joke number one. But while I'm presenting joke number one, I would start to do the math on what I think joke number two should be based off how the audience is currently responding to joke number one. Then I'll move on to joke number three and start to do the math on what that joke should be based off how they're currently responding to joke number one and probably will respond to joke number two. I actually used to go seven jokes deep. I'll be thinking about joke number seven, even though I'm presenting joke number one. And the question I would be asking in between the jokes is, what joke should I do next to get more laughs from people? What should I do? How can I get more laughs? Well, what happened was after I had a change in mindset, and truly understood that the question I should be asking is, what can I give to my audience? When I started asking that question, I couldn't go seven jokes deep anymore. I couldn't go seven, I could only go maybe three, maybe four. And the reason is, is because when I ask the question, what can I give to my audience? Most of the times it's jokes, but sometimes it's something a little more. There may be some encouragement, there may be someone I need to point out in the audience, There's all these other opportunities to give to people in between these gaps. So everybody listening to this podcast right now, in your life, there's gaps. My question to you is what question are you asking in between the gaps? Are you asking what can I get or are you asking what can I give? And if you don't know the answer to that question, I think you probably know the answer to that question. By default, we're asking what can we get So if you can shift it and really, truly start asking, what can I give? I'm here to tell you that I believe some of these societal issues that we have, like you just mentioned, will start to alleviate Mm -hmm. because you're asking, what can I give? Because you have the napkin, you you have the towel over your arm instead of tucked into your collar. You'll see those opportunities. So I love being on stage just asking that question. In fact, in one chapter of the book, uh, I was listening between the gaps. I'm doing a show in Sacramento. In fact, I'll be there uh, next week. I'm doing this big event in Sacramento and in between the gaps, I said something encouraging. I said something to the effect of, listen, you guys know, some of you guys probably have a hard move you have to make. And it seems like it'll be, it seems like a ridiculous move and you're scared, you're fearful, but you can do it. Like you have what it takes to get this done. So that's all I said in between the gaps, instead of a joke, then I move on to the next joke. Well, after the show, I get a knock on my green room door and security says, hey, there's this guy out here who really wants to talk to you. I'm like, "Okay." 
So I go out there. It's a white dude. He looked like an Eminem looking dude. He got on a white beater. He looking all tough. And, and he looked like he was high. But I, as I looked closer, he wasn't high. He had been crying. And he said to me, he was like, yo, man, I just came here to laugh, to get away from all this pressure, man. But I was laughing. And then you said what you said, man. And I was like, and then he, he, and then he gets closer to me. He moves in even closer because there's security around. And he tells me, he says, man, I'm wanted in, in several states. And uh, the police looking for me. And I came here, man. Anyway, man, I just, I want to know if you will help. I want to turn myself in. Can you help me? Dude. And I called, like, for real. Like, we called the police. This dude gets into the back of the, the car and looks at, gives me a hug turns himself into the authorities and drives off. I'm blown away by this. But the only thing that really happened was I was listening between the gaps, asking what can I give, as opposed to just showing up at a comedy show, saying, give me laughs, give me laughs, give me laughs. Everyone has gaps in their life. What question are you asking in between the gaps? So when you come up with your, when you write your material, uh-huh. with that, because what you're saying, you started off, as a comedian to get laughs mm-hmm. right through your own personal development growth. Yeah. You change that perspective. Now day to day things happen. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I am not a comedian, but I'm a, I'm a, a communicator. I, I write content. I put this out Absolutely. there for people. And so things happen in my life. Thoughts from, from reading, from talking with people. And I am thinking, how can I benefit others with that? Is that where your material comes from now? Or does it still start with, man, that's funny. And then how can I use that to bring a benefit to people? Yeah. So what's happening is I'm doing both. <clears throat> Meaning I'm writing funny. Like I see funny all day. Even when I drop my kids off at school, they put a, uh, they always take their temperature before they let them out the car. Yeah. So they take the temperature, but then when I pick them up, I'm like, what are you going to give them back to me? So I check their temperature too. I'm like, wait a minute. You gotta keep... yeah. so I'll see the funny all over the place. So I'll write the funny down, but then also I'll get a download of some inspiration or some understanding and I'll write that down too. So now I have this whole repertoire right. of information that I think can help people. So then when I get on stage, I'm just asking the question, what can I give to them to really help them? And more times than not, it's funny. It's laughter. But what I think is really happening is laughter is just a tool to open up someone's heart. Mm-hmm. And then I want to be in position with this other content to be able to make a deposit that can make a pretty positive change. So in one chapter of the book, I know this, this will sound bananas, man. This is a, So there's a chapter in there called I Get It Now. And it's about a uh, school teacher who came to my comedy show. We're in Peoria, Illinois. It's uh, the home of Richard Pryor. Mm. And um, I'm doing a comedy show there. And uh, we have an autograph line and there's a bunch of, um, I think it was a keynote address. I'm not sure. Anyway, this lady approaches me afterwards and she doesn't go to the, she didn't buy any merchandise. She just walked up to me and said, oh, she said, you know what? I get it now. And she walks off. I'm like, you get what? You didn't buy anything. What did, what did you get? Like you didn't buy no merchandise? I don't know. Anyway, so <clears throat> she said, I get it now. But I didn't understand what she meant by I get it now. A year and a half later, I come back to Peoria, Illinois. Do you remember me? And I'm like, um, from how long ago? I mean, I don't know. My, I don't have a colorful past, but I just want to make sure it's not. Anyway, so she said, um, she said, I was here about a year and a half ago. And she explained to me that she's a school teacher. And um, 
when she showed up at the show, she was one hundred and thirty seven dollars uh, negative in her account. And a friend gave her a ticket to the comedy show because she knew she had all of these issues and uh, they wanted her to just let go and laugh for a little while. So I'm on stage, I'm doing my comedy. People are laughing and having fun, but I'm also asking the question, what can I give? Yeah. So I said some stuff, some encouraging things in between the jokes. And uh, she said, Michael, when you said what you said, I just got it. She said, so I was $137 minus my account. She said, on top of all these other issues, my favorite student uh, approached me that day at school. It was a Friday. Her favorite student said to her, um, hey, I'm not going to be coming back anymore. Uh, she said that her mom was going to prison. She never met her dad before and didn't have any other family. And she didn't want she didn't want to get into the foster care system and get caught up. So she was just leaving. So she didn't know what to do. The teacher didn't know what to do. She comes to the comedy show. I said what I said in between the gaps. The teacher walks up to me and says, I get it now. Goes and calls the student up and says, hey, I don't know what this looks like, but why don't you come live with me for a little while? And let's figure this out together. Wow. So on Sunday night, they're unpacking her clothes and the teacher finds a suicide note dated for Friday night, the same day that she called her. And then this teacher is looking at me and she says, I just want you to know that um, I'm so much happier now. And then she said, uh, I've actually adopted her. She's standing right over there. She pointed behind me. She said, I adopted her and her little sister. Would you like to meet him? What the deal, dude? I'm done. Now, had I just shown up just trying to get jokes, who knows what the scenario would be? But I just showed up saying, what can I give? What can I do? It's best to my ability. Yeah. And um, and some really cool stuff took place as a result of it. That's just one of the cool stories in the book. It really is funny how life works. That's why we named it that. I, yeah, I like the title. So on that, when we look at, we have so many people myself included, who uh, of faith, you know, on, on this show, in this show, the listeners, and often looking at, okay, here I am as a, you know, a husband uh, or a spouse, as a, as a parent, as a leader in my work, as whatever, and I need to be evangelizing to some degree, right? I need to be, mm-hmm. I need to be showcasing the Lord for people and concerned about how they do that in everything they do. So here you are talking about, you know, you get the funny, but then you're trying to get some purposeful things in there as well. So I've seen you at a church in a setting like that. Well, I saw you at the, you know, the Ziegler event and by proxy of the audience, you were there to deliver a funny personal development talk. I mean, that was the point of it. I've seen you at churches and it's an altar call. It was amazing. Now, but I want to come over here because I'm sure somebody has asked you. So when you're on entertainment or not entertainment, a tonight show or Jimmy yeah. Fallon or, or whatever. How are mm-hmm. you doing it there? Because my assumption is that there you're just doing your craft and the better you do that, you expand your audience, which then gives you permission to give them what they kind of the give them what they want to give them what they need. Yeah. That's a big line for me. Okay. Give them what they think they want. So I can really give them what they need. But what I'm doing when I'm on the tonight show or Jimmy Kimmel or any of those shows, I'm doing the same thing. But the key is I'm, the, the thing that I'm doing is just listening in between the gaps. I'm just asking God, what would you have me to do? So if I'm on Jimmy Fallon and God says to do these jokes and really present them well, that's what I'm going to do. I never assume, like even when you see me at a church and I'm doing, like there's some pretty significant altar calls that happen. I think this, 
I was just at a church that only had uh, maybe 1,600 members. I think 300 people came to the altar. It was pretty awesome. But even at churches, I never agreed to do an altar call. I always agreed that I'm going to come speak. And then if I feel like as I'm listening between the gaps, that's what should happen, then that's what I'll do. My number one assignment is to try to hear what God wants to do. Because we never really know. We make some assumptions. So I'll ask this question to your listeners. But the, you, you, I, want to, I want you guys to just uh, answer this in your head. Don't answer it out loud. So if, let's say you're walking down the street and you have two bottles of water and you're not thirsty. And you see a homeless person who's thirsty. My question is, what should you do? My answer is, I don't think you give them the water. I think what you should do, most people would say, you give them the water. You got two hours of water, you're not thirsty. He's a homeless guy who's thirsty, give him the water. I say, don't give him the water. Instead, quickly ask God. Say, hey, God, what would you have me to do? Because for all you know, behind you is a lady with a stingy heart and one bottle of water. And God's been working on her heart. And this is her opportunity to give the guy the Hmm. water. In the first scenario, you play God. In the second scenario, you play for God. So I'd rather play for God and just listen in between the gaps. The key is to get good at listening so you can do whatever it is as opposed to showing up with an agenda prior to like, dun, 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 dun. here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to save some people. Well, first of all, sit yourself down because you can't save nobody. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you gotten criticism ever from uh, your Christian brethren for being on, let's say, a Jimmy Kimmel or something like that? Getting laughs, um, getting laughs, but no, yeah. not from being on there, but getting getting laughs, but then say, wait, well, you all didn't, right. you didn't say Jesus. Yeah, you know, which is hilarious because, like, I I would say one time I was doing a show with uh, George Carlin, and uh, this is before he died because that's probably the best that's, time to do a show. With yeah, him. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that could be funny. So, so I mentioned this. I think it's chapter twenty-two or something. It's funny how life works. And I said, uh, so I'm getting ready to do a show with George Carlin, and some of my Christian comedian friends said to me, hey, you know he's an atheist, don't you? I was like, atheist? I don't know. Like, I, I didn't know that. And then they said, well, yeah, he's an atheist. You still going to do a show with him? I was like, dude, why wouldn't I do a show with him? I probably do shows with a bunch of atheists. I never asked him. Anyway, so we um, go down there and do the show. I do, and George Carlin goes up before me, right? And he does 15 minutes on why you shouldn't say God bless. For real. 15 minutes straight on why you should not say God bless. I went up after him. I was like, man, George Carlin, God bless him. Man. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. So I'm going to show up the way I should show up no matter. I'm going to try to. I know I miss it. I know I miss it a lot. But I'm not really, I try not to be as concerned with my horizontal loved ones. Yeah. Meaning the people and what they're saying. But the vertical is what I'm really, really concerned about. Well, it just, it made me think of you because I've seen, you know, your different bits and you go on there and you'd be funny. It just reminded me and I learned this. Well, it was as a pro cyclist when I realized, man, being, having that, it gave me a platform that I could have a positive influence there. And we started a nonprofit sports ministry through that. But I realized, so does that mean that in the race I'm out there, you know, prophesying and evangelizing because <laughs> right. I realized, no, what, what gives me the platform is winning the race. 
So I, I'll go oh. train, go win that race just as a racer, and then it gives me the influence with people that then I can get, great. I can do something. Well, but then I saw that with you when you go out there and you are funny, you master your craft and everybody listening has a craft, whatever business, whatever job they have, they've got that to do that. Well, gives us that influence that then we can impart to people. But I think sometimes we, I have, I, I should own it. I have gotten a little confused sometimes thinking I've got to do both. It's, it's, it's got to be, I can't do anything for the craft. If it yeah. doesn't include my yeah my my evangelistic aspect or, or right. you know, the, the calling, I'll say that right yeah right. And, and we're not even all called to. I mean, Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Everybody has a great commission, but everybody's not like. I want to be cunning. I want to be clever. I want to do exactly what God, what I feel like God is saying, do and win. And it may mean I'm on stage in front of two thousand people. And God says, just be funny, mm -hmm. just be fun. I don't want you to do just funny. And I just bring the funny. And then after the show, one person walks up to me and has a question and decides to surrender himself to God, or should I say to the authorities, which is exactly what happened in the Sacramento case. And do surrenders his life literally over to the authorities mm -hmm. as a result of that. So mm -hmm. I'd rather be like obedience is better than sacrifice. Uh, that's okay. I'm, I'm going to come back here. Cause I, again, I was thinking about you watching these Seinfeld, this Jerry Seinfeld comedians and cars getting coffee. And again, I, I mean, it was funny and interesting, but I, I just got enamored again with the personalities of him and mm. the people he had on and their interactions and their sharing of their insight, you know, into life. Mm. Well, he's, I, I think pretty well known again. I'm not a, a, a yeah, yeah, yeah. fan necessarily of, of, I don't know him and know him deeply, but he seems to always be pretty clean and pretty, yeah, yeah. at least clean. I don't know if he's always uplifting, but pretty clean. And I saw him on one and he criticized somebody who was very foul mouthed in that and said, in essence, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the details, but that he felt like that was a cop out to true comedy. And yeah. I thought about that with you because it's easy to say, oh, Michael Jr., oh, he's, he's Christian, so he has to say nice things and keep his language, <laughs> keep his language clean. Right. And over here, I'm thinking, no, Jerry's saying it's a more brilliant form of, of comedy. I mean, my kids laugh if I fart. There's no skill mm -hmm. needed <laughs> for that at all. So no, to use potty, potty right. talking language, and I thought it, it, puts, it put you in a different light of, no, it's not just the nice, clean, you know, Christian comedian. Your craft is more skillful by not having to rely on the junk. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's very true, man. Because what happens is, is if somebody says a four-letter word, the re reaction gets blended with nervous laughter, and it's mistaken for entertainment. But it's really not. It's just a reaction. Yeah. It's nervousness. Ooh, it's, it's shocking. Most of that is. But if you pull all that away and just tell the story, if it's still not funny, that just means it's not funny. If you if you had to put that there to get that little bump, that means you you, you got to go back to the drawing board and start to write. That's why I'm so blessed. Like God, I didn't know God when I first started doing comedy, but He set me up to do clean comedy even before I knew Him. Like I was doing clean comedy way before I was a Christian, and then once I became a Christian, I was like, oh, this is making sense now. It just was so cool. Why, why did you? I was literally going to ask that because I saw in the, you know, in the sequence uh -huh. there that wait you were doing. You had the bet with your buddy about not saying you know using four letter words before 
you yeah. became a Christian. What was the impetus for that? What was what was the catalyst? Yeah, so, that, yeah. so me and a friend, like like you mentioned, we just made a deal. Like we we said, if if you curse, you have to stand still, and I'm gonna hit you in the chest hard as I want to, and then vice versa. Why? And Duke can hit hard just because we were well, two reasons. One, we wanted to expand our vocabulary. That's what we would tell people. Number two, we really wanted to just hit each other because if you hit somebody hard, the girls are looking and you are tough and you get to like it was it was it was silly. It yeah. was ridiculous. But it built up a um, a negative association with using those using that language. Right. So I didn't want to. So I had this negative neural association to use a negative language. And then when I started doing comedy, I just didn't want to. And then when I had kids, I was like. Man, I want my kid. I remember being in a green room with some huge name comedians. Some of the names you've said already, some big name comedians. And I was in a green room at this comedy club in uh, Hermosa Beach. And I had two of my kids with me. And uh, and they came back and they met the people or whatever. And then they went into this other room and my kids had some food in the other room. And then uh, one of the guys, big, 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 big name, he said, um, he said, man, I don't know how I'm going to tell my kids what I do. He, his kids didn't even know what he did yet. And he was contemplating how is he, what conversations he's going to have with them when they finally find out what their dad does for a living, because he didn't want them to see the show because it was so vulgar and whatnot. And my kids were at my show. Yeah. Like they saw me perform. So that was just very enlightening for me to see that. In fact, there was one time I was doing a show and uh, Chris Rock, uh, went on before me, I think before me or after me, I can't remember. And I had never met Chris before. And then we're talking and he saw my set and he said, man, that was hilarious. That was really funny. He was giving me all these compliments. So we're talking, we're 15 minutes into our conversation. And he gets this look on his face, like, wait a second. He said, you didn't curse, did you? I was like, oh no, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Really. He said, man, I didn't even realize he said, oh, that is so awesome. He said, man, that is so cool. I didn't, he had his own revelation in a minute, which made the compliment even greater. Yeah. Because he saw the funny, even though those words weren't there that he would normally use or some people in his circle would use, which is a big compliment. That's incredible. But I, I really believe what you're saying is true. If you work hard enough at whatever the craft is and you're doing it really to please God, like his, his light is going to shine right through that thing. Well, even with the, again, not to just expound on curse words, but when people use them and feel like uh, I saw, I had literally just saw somebody that I respect who had somebody on their show and he said, warning, there's a lot of <coughs> cursing in there, but they use it to really drive the point home. And I thought, I, I hope that I'm skillful enough to drive a point home without having to exactly. use. Exactly. Yeah. You know, on this back to, again, this comedic, <coughs> personality, mindset, whatnot. So Zig Ziglar is famous for saying that everybody's Absolutely. in sales and it's good, real sales, I mean, really serving people in sales. It's a transfer of emotion. And mm. again, coming back to you, when you talk, you talk so often, you, may, you had a bunch of different lines on the tenets of comedy uh, or even of a joke, you know, in the joke, you said it's the timing, <laughs> the rhythm, the pacing, and you study this stuff. And, you know, we know mm -hmm. of Zig, he was not this uh, born perfect guy on stage. He studied it like mad yeah. and he knew his yeah. stuff. And I've seen that, especially seeing you multiple times when I see you yeah. and I'll see you do some of the same bits. You ebb and yeah. flow through those, but this is a craft oh. that you have mastered. And again, it feels like, uh, well, talk about sales. It feels like comedians have got to be some of the best. You're selling the hardest thing there is. 
Yeah. And get, and it's, yeah. And it's like reality, too, meaning with comedy, a lot of people don't understand it. When, but when you're delivering comedy or even mixing comedy into like a keynote address, anything that has comedy in it is actually like a raw truth. What I mean is, is if someone gets on stage and they sing, the audience could have an opinion about that either way. One person could be like, that was amazing, sing so well. Another person could be like, that was really bad. Or if you get up and give a speech, they could have an opinion. That was really bad, that was really good. The audience could be split completely. Yeah. Because they get because they get to choose what they're going to say as if it was your was your communication uh effective or not. But when it comes to comedy, they don't get to choose. They either laugh or they don't. And it's absolute truth. Meaning when you get on stage, you say your joke. If it's funny, they're going to laugh. And you don't have to worry about anything in between because someone can't laugh and then say that wasn't funny. <laughs> you're just true. dealing with it. You're just dealing that's with straight true. truth. There's no way around it. So I think that's why a lot of people tend to be a little afraid of the comedy. But there's some tools that people can use. I don't know if I talk about this in the book or not, but one thing, instead of cursing, so this is one little move. There's probably some public speakers out there. So one thing that I do, man, I don't think I've even shared this publicly before, is if everyone has a radius when they're on on stage speaking, I have about a 24-inch radius. I never leave 24 inches, maybe, maybe 36 inches. I don't really move that much on stage. But if I really want to bring a point across, all I have to do is leave that radius while I'm making the point. Okay. The brain, the people will start to look at it and be like, wait a second, what? wow. And that thing will stick out and they will not be able to articulate why it stuck out so far. It's simply because I broke a radius that you hadn't seen before. So, and that's the same thing people are doing when they use curse, curse words. They're breaking a radius. The problem is, is they're breaking it so much, yeah. it becomes the new radius, it expands. Or when people raise their voice, they're breaking a radius but if your voice is high all the time, your radius just expanded. And now there's nothing new about what you're doing. The smaller your radius is, the bigger impact you can have on people. Just like I mentioned earlier with my kids, I didn't give them a lot of stuff. They had to earn it or work for it. But when I did, they were very, very happy about it because I went out of my radius to do so. Are you, are you talking about your kids? Are you funny in real life? Uh, that's a stupid thing to say, but do you know what I mean? Do you do that? Cause I've known some people who are real funny on stage, but they're pretty yeah. serious off stage. But I've known some others that they're kind of cut up a lot. Where do you fall yeah, in that? What do your I kids think? So I don't like when I'm disciplining my kids, I'm like, Hey, well, who drove the front? <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I am very, I'm, I'm people tell me that I'm pretty much the same on stage and off, hmm. but off stage, I'm not, I'm just not talking as much. Meaning on stage, it's really up to me to hold the whole entire conversation. So I'm, my, my brain is constantly thinking, if you ever see me at a party with a bunch of people there, first of all, it's not me. It's somebody who looked like me because I don't like going to parties. Me too. <laughs> yeah. me too. But if you do see me, if I have to be there, I'm probably tucked away in a corner somewhere close to the exit, just watching people and observing what they're doing. Yeah. But I, I'm never... By any means, have I ever been the life of a party before? I'm just not that good. Do you feel like you are somewhat, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but always on the job, always thinking, always, like you said that you're watching people, you're watching events, that you're always looking for material, or is it, do you just let it come organically if it hits you right or not? Does that make yeah. sense? You know what's interesting about that, man? It's the, thing, the question that I've really been asking my whole life 
hasn't been how could I be funny. It's really been something along the lines of how could I help people. And what I mean is, is if I'm asking how can I help people, more times than not, I would come up with a joke that could cause that person to laugh. But now that I understand that at first I was doing that just to get laughs from people, just to get acceptance, now that that's no longer the case, I'm still asking how can I help people. Sometimes it's something funny or sometimes it might just be opening a door for them or, or giving them a compliment or something. So when I'm in public somewhere, if I'm sitting down looking at people, one of the questions that is running through my mind is really what can I, how can I help somebody? What can I do? And it's just, it's just part of who I am. It's almost in my subconscious. It's almost like a primary question. And everyone has a primary question they're asking, even if they're not aware of the fact that they're asking it. Mine just happen to be, always be how could I help, which sounds good. The problem is, is what if nothing's wrong? Yeah. Like you're still asking the question, how can I help? And then you'd find something wrong. So, so it's a balance. But uh, I'm always finding comedy, and then I'm being strategic on when I release it. Or I'm finding revelation and then being strategic on when I re- release it, whether it be a corporate event or a keynote, whatever it might be. You you know, you talk about or, or just looking at that aspect of you being so observant of mm-hmm. being so aware. I mean, that's what strikes me about your book. It actually reminded me of Guy Kawasaki. I don't know if you know Guy, but he's Silicon Valley uh, legend and author. And he wrote a book yeah, called... Yeah, he wrote uh, Port, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. No, that's, that's good racial stereotyping. But uh, yeah. No, he looks... Poor Dad. He looks really close. That's uh, Kiyosaki. Yeah, that's... Yeah, yeah, really. Oh, that's yeah, stereotyping? Because uh, their names are that close? No, yeah, but they both look Hawaiian or Asian or something. I thought you were referring to that. Oh, no, that's stereotyping. Yeah, yeah thanks. Okay, I, I thought that I'd call it that. That's funny, though. That's yeah. funny. Uh, so Guy, but he wrote this book called Wise Guy. And it was mm. very much like yours of these life observances along the way. And it just mm-hmm. was impacting to me... I think that I see the wisdom in retrospect, but it made me realize how often I'm not thinking about the event in the moment. And to what you said, in, in essence, over and over in the book of what well, you did, you had a chapter. One of the first chapters was about that, about look at that. Maybe it was the first chapter, the hard thing that may be happening. And in essence, what can I learn from it as opposed to the gut reaction mm-hmm. of just you know, some people are going to be a, feel a victim and just be upset about it. I'll tend to look at it and just focus on how I can fix it. But you're saying mm-hmm. over here, now, what can I learn from? I, I want to be more aware so I can learn that lesson quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The key, really, what, one of the biggest things I've learned, man, is to think about what I'm thinking about. Like, what That's am I thinking good. about after something happens? That's like, good. after something goes down or in the midst of it, what am I thinking about? What am I feeling? And then even question why I'm feeling that way or why I'm thinking that way. Like, like if someone says something negative or if I think it's negative, then why, like a great question. I heard somebody ask a great question once, which was uh, person A hit person B. And then they said, why? And everyone came up with these different answers. And I'm, and I'm amazed at why did they come up with all, they said, because person B stepped on their foot because this happened. They came up with all these scenarios and I'm thinking, Maybe he hit him with a hundred dollars because you could hit somebody with money too. Boom. There you go. Like it could be anything, but just that question causes you to think, why did I think it was a violent hit? Why did I assume they were fighting? What? And then why did I say he, he hit him with some money? 
Like it could, or, or, there could have been a mosquito on Guy Hayes' back, and you just saved him from getting bit by a mosquito, and it could have been allergic to mosquitoes. Like there's no, te- like there's so much that could happen. So I like to question. I like to think about what I'm thinking about, and then question it. So I can get better. Yeah, my thought was, why did person A hit person B? Because person A has some anger issues, apparently. Uh, right. Uh, think about what that's a that, that's gonna be a book title right there. Think about what I'm yeah. thinking about. That's and that's it. My that's what I felt like you called us to so much in the book was being aware of what's happening and just that because I tend to again, especially with the negative stuff, the hard stuff, I think we're in a culture right now that's really fallen into this victim mentality and complain and gripe mm-hmm. and, and, and whatnot. And I would say, I don't do that, but I tend to be linear in that. And I'm okay. I'm here at a, how do I get to Z? How do I fix it? How do I get beyond it? How do whatever, instead of taking captive, what are my thoughts on this? Yeah, that's great. Well, it's great. It's what you wrote about. It's what I got out of your book so much is again, that observance, which is so interesting how that leads into what your job is to be observant. And in the Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. I feel like you could, you should be doing, there should be comedic sales training courses or personal relationship skills courses by comedians, because what you have to do, because you did, you talked about the skill of the practice of the discipline of comedy so often in yeah, the book. Yeah, and I kept yeah. seeing this is, this is business one-on-one. This is PR skills. Mm-hmm. This is sales one-on-one of yeah. yeah. Being aware, which you Man, were I'm so somebody. glad you picked up on that because we put some little subtle things in there, hoping that people will grab a hold of it in whatever their profession is, because every story that I tell, there's some sort of application as well. Like we put application in every single chapter, made the chapters very, very readable. But I wanted to put it in a story format because you can remember a story, you can see it, you can feel it, you can get caught up in it. And then we hit you with the application. So that 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 means a lot that you caught that. That means a lot. Well, thanks. So, so help us as we're listening, because not many people listening are professional comedians and actors and, and really? speakers and what, maybe a couple, maybe a couple. Mm-hmm. They are doing whatever their job is. They're a plumber. They're mm-hmm. a, a, an accountant. They're a, a coach. They're a, a, an author whatever mm-hmm. on how to use their craft in the same way, to use that to open up the opportunity to give that deeper service. Yeah. So here's what I always, this is, that's a, that's a great question, man. So I think the key is, is two things. One is, what question are you asking? Are you doing whatever your profession is because it's something you like to do? Or are you doing whatever the profession is because you're helping some people you feel like you're supposed to help? Everybody, unfortunately, I was just talking to some, uh, some, some high school students and I said, whatever you do, do not go to college to answer the question, what do I like to do? Do not pick your degree based off what I, what do I like to do. Pick your degree based off of who do I want to help. Hmm. If you can, if you do that, if you, it'll change the game. Figure out who you want to help because helping people will put your alarm clock out of business. Waking up to do something will cause you to hit the snooze. So for all those people who are in their professions right now, the key is to really figure out who are your people. Who are you called to? No matter what job you have, no matter what you do in life, you're going to be serving other people. 
So the question is, who are the people you're called to? Meaning, are they single moms? Are they uh, dads who are not really sure how to be the dad? Or is it is it people who have um, who need legal help in a sp- specific field? But the key is to attach it to some human beings, not to a task. I had this conversation with a lady in my audience once, and she said, well, I know that I'm called to single moms, but I can't help them because I work at a UPS store. I was like, what do you mean you can't? Like, sure you can help them. She said, well, how am I going to help them? I work at a UPS store. I said, well, she was in the Dallas area. I said, well, what UPS store in the Dallas Metroplex has the highest amount of, or what area has the, the highest density of single moms? She's like, I don't know. I said, well, could you find out which ones do? And she said, I bet I could. I said, well, is it possible that you could transfer to that location? She said, it is possible. I said, so if you transfer to that location, now you're around more single moms. If you didn't do anything but put a stamp on one of their envelopes, are you helping your people? And she started getting teared up because she saw how easy it was to put herself in position to help her people. And then what if you struck up a conversation with one? What if you happen to notice that a few of them had the same issues? Now you're in it. It doesn't have to, your purpose doesn't have to be some great thing that you get to someday. There's steps you can do right now to get closer to your people and in doing so, live more fulfilled. I'm going to take that home. Uh, so just so you know, this is, this is the benefit of me getting to do the show is I'm the first student. And I, uh, I have a daughter, she produces my shows and she's looking at doing some new things and she's struggling a little bit. She feels the weight of doing something important, doing her calling right now. I'm saying, just go experience life. But that right there to base what she wants to do, not in her sense, it's not a degree, it's not school, but what she's going to go after on who she wants to help is beautiful. Dude, listen, I did this with my niece. You got to do this with your daughter, right? So my niece knows she loves kids and she wants to help kids. I said, there's a lot of kids out there. Who are you called to? And she was like, I don't know. What, what do you mean? So I took her out to this uh, basketball court that we have, and I took four cones, right? And I set the cones out. No, it was five cones, and I set the cones out. And I, and I said, this cone right here represents um, handicapped children. And I said, and this one represents uh, children with emotional problems. This one represents children with learning problems. And I set all these cones out. And I and I put her across from the cones. And I said, so which kids do you want to help? She said, I love them all. I want to help all sure. the kids. I was like, of course you do. I said, but if you could only step to one cone, yeah. which one would you step to? And I and she had to struggle with that decision in a controlled environment. I said, which one do you feel like is calling you? And she stepped to the, the kids with the emotional um, with the emotional issues. And I said, are you sure? And then I added a little bit of heat to it. I said, because this handicapped kid really needs somebody. Mm. Are you sure you're going to not do this and help this person? So I had her step back. Wow. I said, I need you to think about it. And she thought about it and thought, and then she stepped to the kids with the emotional issue. And I said, wait a second, there's one more cone. I said, this cone is a wounded puppy that just got hit by a car. Like, right? There's a vet close by, but are you going to, like, what are you, who are you called to help? And she and it got her super laser on those kids, because in life, as you're going through things, puppies are going to show up. There's all sorts of distractions that in the moment will be emotional. But is it really what you're called to do? So we created a, a, a safe environment for her to make the choice. So now when she now she's going to school next year and she can be clear, she can be laser about who she's called to, because all these other pop ups are going to happen. 
but you can do a bunch of good things, but you really want to do the great thing. You want to do the right thing. Yeah. So it's a really cool. Dude, exercise. I love the exercise. I love the analogy. I'm going to have, yeah. uh, I've got, uh, I got a couple hundred children. We're all going on vacation here shortly. I'm going to do that, uh, with some oh, that of them. That is awesome. They will have fun with awesome. it. And I love the, yeah, the tactile, tangible aspect of yeah, you can't let them, let them, yeah, let them struggle with that. You can't help them all, but you're going to be able to really, really impact somebody. Who do you feel like? God, and that was the question too. I was like, who is God calling to? Yeah. Which area, which, like, sit here and think about it. She started getting a little teary, man, a little choked up. And I was like, you gotta, like, who is it? Who do you feel like it is? Pray, I'll take my time, I'll just sit here and wait. It was a great exercise, dude. So I gotta, I gotta say one more thing on you as a comedian. I thought about you leading up to this, because actually it was the same daughter. She loves, she's a foodie, loves loves good food, and she had this rec- mm. this rec- uh, recommended restaurant, and she says, yeah, Dad, we, they've got this great veggie burger and sweet potato fries, whatever, it's real healthy, and after you, after you eat it, you still feel okay, as opposed to the place down here with the greasy whatever, and you eat it and you feel like mm. crap. And I thought, that came to mind as I thought about comedians, about funny stuff. I like watching stuff with my family. Ooh, and it's not that I'm a, it's, well, it's not that I'm a prude completely, but sometimes you watch the stuff and you come out of it. And I just kind of feel a little, a little icky. And when I, oh, when I get your stuff, read your stuff, listen to it, watch it, I feel uh, lifted up. And I don't know uh, what greater testimony to yeah, thank you for that. Well, and I, I, for all of us in what we're doing, can we, as opposed to the norm over there, lift people up in whatever it is, whether we're a comedian on stage, whether we're an accountant, whether we're a uh, guy changing the oil under the car like you spent so many years uh, doing. Man, I'm, I'm grateful for your craft, your devotion to it, and your devotion to loving on people. And th- for you putting this book out, I... <laughs> am getting so much i will help other people with it i'm eager for the oh, audience here to uh to listen to you get exposed to you again and to buy the book so thank you yes Michael. please go to uh go to funnyhowlifeworksbook.com yep and you actually get a signed copy there it's available wherever books are sold but if you want a signed copy you go to funnyhowlifeworksbook.com and we'll actually get you a signed copy of the book so that's exciting i will do so thank you again michael Dude, you're awesome, man. Thanks. Friends, again, I highly encourage you to find Michael Jr.'s podcast. You'll laugh, you'll be entertained, but you're going to learn a lot that you can apply to your life. Just search for him at Funny How Life Works, wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up in episode 888, Tom Ziegler and I bring you the top 15 most desired values from the world's greatest civilizations and religions, and the top eight that our audience picked as they talked about what they would want in someone they hired, and it showcases what people most want from us. Till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. <laughs>